enjoy your extra big-ass fries. You didn't give me no fries. I got an empty box. Would you like another extra big-ass fries? I said I didn't get any. Thank you. Your account has been charged. Your balance is zero. Please what? come back when you can afford oh, to make no, a purchase. No. I'm sorry you're having come trouble. Come on. I'm My sorry you're starving. having Revolution Radio. Here at Revolution Radio, we believe in freedom of ideas, freedom of speech, but above all, we believe in freedom of existence through self-reliance. This station is 100% listener-supported, and as a fundraising promotion, I have a kick-ass free gift for a $100 donation. 35,000 seeds. 25 years in the freezer. Long-term storable, 54 different varieties. So, if food prices go crazy... The shit hits the fan, or if you just want to save tons of money every year by creating your own food like I do, grab our seed pack special. Just look for the banner on the homepage at freedomslips.com. Don't be a statistic. Don't be part of the problem. Be part of the solution. We need, as humans, to start taking care of ourselves and not depending on the megacorps to provide unhealthy, nasty food. Included in this package is also a DVD with 900 survival and off-grid living documents and the offline home canning how-to-do-everything website all on the DVD. So when you're growing all that food, you know how to can it, store it, preserve it, etc. with all these documents. So thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. I hope that you will pick up this package and start learning to be free. Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, where information never sleeps and freedom is one seed that needs to be planted. What we do in life, that goes in eternity. For if the bomb that drops on you Gets your friends and neighbors too. There'll be nobody left behind to grieve, and we will all go together when we go. What a comforting fact that is to know. Universal bereavement and inspiring achievement. Yes, we all will go together when we go. We will all go together when we go. All suffused with an incandescent glow. No one will have the endurance to collect on his insurance. Lloyds of London will be loaded when they go. This is Jim Fetzer, your host on The Raw Deal. I want to wish a happy new year to everyone. Let's hope this is a very successful and full of uh, positive developments here, though I'm very troubled by some of the stories I'm going to be reporting today. Bear in mind now that my pattern is going to be to give an update on current events on Tuesdays and then to feature a special guest on Thursday. And if I can, you know, figure how to get the questions from the chat room, of course, I'll be glad to do that, especially during the second hour for me and my guest, and I think you're, you're going to be real happy with the the guests I have scheduled for Thursday and for a week from Thursday already. I begin with a very important overview article from Zero Hedge entitled The Next Empire, 
which is talking about how empires have come and gone and that there are certain signs you can discern that indicate that, for example, the American empire is crumbling and that we're in the last stages. I'll read you parts of this and comment on. Throughout history, political, financial, and military leaders have sought to create empires. Westerners often think of ancient Rome as the first empire. Later, other empires formed for a time. Spain became an empire, courtesy of its armada, its conquest of the New World, and the gold and silver extracted from the West. Great Britain owned the 19th century, but lost its empire due largely to costly wars. The United States took over in the 20th century and, like Rome, rose as a republic with minimal central control, but is now crumbling under its own governmental weight. This this does suggest that those who live in the present empire, the U.S., will be the last to truly understand that the game is all but over. Americans seem to be hopeful that the dramatic decline we're enduring economically and in other ways is a temporary setback from which they will rebound. And I add, as an aside, you just can't believe the numbers we're being told and the fact that the stock market is uh, upward bound doesn't mean that the average citizen is doing well. I'm still convinced that the unemployment is hovering between 35 and 40 percent right here in the USA. I continue to see major retailers go out of business. Amazon.com sucking all the air out of ordinary businesses. The Donald has made some observations about Amazon getting carried away. And I think that those are well taken. I won't be surprised to see some kind of trust busting being directed at Amazon in during 2018. Historically, once an empire has been shot from its perch, it's replaced by a rising power, one that's more productive and more forward-thinking in every way. Yet the U.S. is hanging on tenaciously. And like any dying empire, its leaders are becoming increasingly ruthless, both at home and abroad, hoping to keep up appearances. Warfare is often the death knell of a declining empire, both in its extreme financial cost and in its ability to alienate the peoples of other countries. In the new millennium, the United States has invaded more countries than at any time in its history and appears now to be in a state of perpetual warfare. This is being carried out both militarily and economically as the U.S. imposes economic sanctions on those it seeks to conquer. This effort has become so threatening to the world that other powers, even if they do not have a history of being allies, are now coming together to counter the U.S. The U.S. is encouraging its effort by the natural alliance between the countries of Europe. Although Europe is made up of many small countries, often with dramatically differing cultures who have bickered with each other for centuries, the European Union has cobbled them together into an ill-conceived United States of Europe. Although the relatively new European Union is already clearly stumbling and on the verge of fragmenting, its leaders are desperately attempting to hold the unlikely alliance together with the help of the U.S., Meanwhile, the other major powers of the world are going full steam ahead to ensure that when the U.S. and the E.U. reach their Waterloo, the rest of the world will carry on independently of the dying empire. They are not merely waiting along the sidelines for the collapse to come, awaiting their turn at the top of the pecking order. They are actively preparing their position to as seamlessly as possible take the baton at a run. 
The End of Dollar Hegemony Since the Bretton Woods Conference in 1944, the U.S. dollar has reigned supreme as the world's default currency. In 1944, the U.S. held more gold than any other country. But in 1971, the U.S. went off the gold standard, and since then the dollar has been a fiat currency. The U.S. has become increasingly cavalier in its abuse of the dollar, often at the expense of other countries. What it means by describing it as a fiat currency is it's simply printed off of presses by the Federal Reserve. JFK thought it was absurd that the government should be paying a consortium of private banks interest to print the currency of the United States and actually had the Department of the Treasury print U.S. dollars uh, rather than Federal Reserve notes. Those were United States notes with a red embossed imprint rather than a green. You can find articles about it um, if you check it out. But there seems to be an effort to suppress the fact that Jack had done that. I remember as a young Marine Corps officer holding one of these bills in my hand. And I was struck by the fact that it had those features I mentioned, the red embossed imprint and said United States notes. Since his uh, demise, however, no other president has had the courage to take on the Fed. Even Ron Paul's heroic efforts to have the Fed audited have fallen short. No one seems to be willing to confront the fact that we have a printing press producing trillions of dollars and no one knows where it's going. Certainly it's not information available to the public and it would appear not even to the members of Congress. Russia and China dealt with the latest round of strong-arm tactics by the U.S. to adhere to the petrodollar by creating the largest energy agreement in history. This and all trade between the two countries will be settled in the ruble and the and the won. Russia has since been active in creating agreements with other fuel customers also bypassing the petrodollar. Now the key is this, that since Nixon took us off the gold standard in 1971, The value of the dollar has been maintained by its use as an international currency in oil transactions. Oil being what turns out to be the world's most important product. Okay, You can't run machines or engines and get work done without oil, uh, you know, unless, of course, you're talking about steam engines or some kind of, uh, you know, solar energy, electrical devices, wind energy. This is why these alternatives are so terribly important. But the fact is that country after country has been dropping the petrodollar as a unit of exchange for oil. So it's been, uh, we've been in a bad way. It, It occurred with Saddam Hussein in Iraq. It occurred with Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. Iran has abandoned the petrodollar. Look at what happened to those countries, and now we seem to have Iran in our sights. I'm just profoundly troubled by this, and I'm going to elaborate, but there seems to be a strong correlation between going off the petrodollar and uh, receiving the condemnation of the United States. Uh, John Perkins, in his brilliant book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, explained how The United States uses the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank to hook 
third world nations on projects, often hydroelectric, that it really doesn't need and certainly cannot afford. So that when they fall behind on their payments or default, that uh, they can exploit the opportunity to obtain the natural resources of those nations on the cheap and benefit, you know, the transnational corporations on whose behalf they're acting. Uh, As Perkins explains, if countries are even more resistant, then they can send in the jackals. These are teams of assassins that uh, bring about a coup, for example, change the government to make it one more uh, amenable to agreements with the United States and these transnational corporations. Or third, as a last resort, send in the Marines. Uh, General Smedley Butner, two-time Congressional Medal of Honor winner, a real American hero, at the end of his career realized that he'd been used, the Marine Corps, of which he was a commander, had been used again and again simply to bolster the profit margins of corporations. I mean, in it, it's embarrassing, but it's true. It's absolutely true. So he 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 published a, a booklet entitled War is a Racket. It's only about 80 pages long, but believe me, it's worth your read. It's a small, small pages too. So 80 pages, you can probably read it in, in a half an hour. In creating these agreements, Asian powers have unofficially announced the demise of the petrodollar. For decades, the U.S. has applied its muscle to other countries using the petrodollar. So the Sino-Russian agreement stands not only to end the petrodollar monopoly, but to create a decline in U.S. power over the world, generally. The new SWIFT system. Presently, the vast majority of economic transfers in the world pass through the SWIFT system located in Brussels but controlled by the U.S., In recent years, the U.S. has barred or threatened to bar other countries from the SWIFT system, making it impossible for banks to transfer money and, by extension, causing the collapse of their banking systems. Russia has responded by creating its own SWIFT system. A new central bank. In recent decades, China and Russia have been expanding their economic power dramatically and have periodically complained that their seats at the IMF table, International Monetary Fund, are unrealistically low considering their importance to world trade. In 2014, China officially replaced the U.S. as the world's largest economy. Yet the IMF has consistently sought to minimize China's place at the table. It would seem that the West believes that it's holding all the cards and that the Chinese and other powers must accept a poor sister position if they are to be allowed to sit at the IMF table at all. The West somehow does not seem to recognize that, if frozen out, the other powers have the ability to create alternatives. As with the SWIFT system, the Asian powers have reacted to U.S. overreach, not by going away licking their wounds by by creating a second IMF. The Russian state Duma, the lower house of the Russian legislature, has now created the New Development Bank. It will have a $100 billion pool to be used for the BRICS countries. Those, of course, are Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, which created an alternative to the International Monetary Fund to, you know, to provide a, a mechanism for trading between nations that didn't suffer from the, the, the disadvantages of being controlled by imperialist America. Its five members will contribute equally to its funding. It will be centered in Shanghai, 
India will serve as the first rotating president, and the first chairman of the board of directors will come from Brazil. The first chairman of the board of governors is likely to be Russian finance minister Anton Sullivan. It's therefore structured to be truly international. By creating all the above entities, the BRICS will in effect have created a complete second economic world. In the latter days of the British Empire, we Brits, the author of this article for Zero Hedge, uh, seem to be under the illusion that even as our power base crumbled, we might somehow retain control by threats and bluster. The UK was utterly wrong in this and only succeeded in alienating training partners, colonies, and allies by doing so. The same thing is happening again today. Russia, China, and the rest of the world, when faced with American threats and bluster, will not simply fold their tents and accept that the U.S. must be obeyed. They will instead create alternatives, and they are doing so exceedingly well and quickly. At this point, the overreach of the U.S. is not only enabling other powers to rise, it is forcing their hand to literally create the next full-blown empire. And we see manifestations of this, for example, in relation to the request that Iran has received from China to establish a connection between Pakistan's Gwadar port, which Chinese companies are developing in Iran's southeastern port of Chabarha. Uh, the managing director of the Chabarha Free Trade Zone was quoted by Iran's media saying China had informed Iran it was interested in using Chabarha to transit goods from Gwandar to regional and extra-regional destination points. He emphasized there was no competition between Iran's Jambar and Pakistan's Gwadar, stressing the two could complement each other in terms of market access potentials, but he emphasized that the advantages of Chabahar were better than Gwadar in terms of rail and road connection facilities to key transport centers in regions as far as Central Africa and Europe. Iran started the ambitious product to develop Chabahar in 2007 through an investment that officials previously said already amounted to a billion dollars. The annual cargo tonnage of the port is now almost tripled to reach as high as 8.5 million tons. It can also accommodate 100,000-ton ships, which officials say can help promote the country's international trade activities. The overall development project is planned in four phases and is expected to bring the port's total annual cargo capacity to 82 million tons. The development of uh, Chabahar port is being carried out by India. The country has committed uh, 500 million to Chabahar, which lies on the Gulf of Oman, aiming to join an increasingly important transport corridor to the resource-rich regional country. Impressive investment plans are already on the cards, with the government of Prime Minister Narendra Modi offering to build a sprawling artery of roads and railroads estimated to cost $15 billion. When development is complete, Chambahar will link with the International North-South Transport Corridor, which, is cur which currently stretches from the Iranian port of Bandar Abbas in the Persian Gulf to Russia, Eurasia, and Europe. So this is a major development. If you look at a map, you can see this is a, you know, a sensational long-range planning by China. 
to to coordinate with Pakistan and Iran in reaching markets in Europe and uh, other areas, including a proposed Iran-Pakistan pipeline project, okay? Now, needless to say, the United States is not happy about this because it's going to affect, you know, make Russia, China, Iran more economically prosperous and vigorous and the whole world less dependent upon the United States and its products and services. In fact, because of the megalithic uh, Amazon.com, you know, American retailers are basically being squeezed out of business. Uh, I'm talking about even major retailers. I'm talking about stores like Sears, for example, which was a major retailer when I was growing up. Sears is basically on the on the chopping block today. So what do we have? Well, bear in mind that Bibi Netanyahu is very unhappy uh, that Syria wasn't served up on a silver platter in the wake of uh, 9-11, and that Iran is, is creating, you know, exercising more and more influence. This is all perfectly appropriate. The involvement of Russia and uh, Iran in uh, Syria was at the request of the Syrian government to, dis- to defeat ISIS, which we, the United States, had created with the complicity of Israel to bring pressure on Bashir al-Assad, you know, to help to complete the program of taking out the governments of seven countries in the next five years that was shared with us by Wesley Clark, formerly commanding general of NATO at a Commonwealth Club in San Francisco in 2007, uh, to take out the governments of seven countries in the next five years, beginning with Iraq and Libya, ending with Syria and Iran. And we know, of course, it hasn't panned out that way. This is one of multiple reasons why the U.S. and Israel have signed a secret deal to cooperate against Iran. Mid-December deal established several teams to target Iran. Israeli media is reporting a secret deal was negotiated and signed by the Trump and Netanyahu governments regarding what they described as the Iranian threat, pledging full cooperation with one another and targeting Iran in various ways. Now, let me just comment. Iran is a peaceful nation that has not launched a war of aggression against any other state since 1775. Yes, 1775, which is uh, 12 years before the ratification of the Constitution began in 1787, 19 years before George Washington was elected our first president. So you can see the absurdity of describing an Iranian threat. This is a, there's no uh, military threat to the United States. Even the nuclear deal with Iran was uh, after post hoc. There wasn't any remaining threat. Iran had abandoned its development of nuclear weapons with the fall of Saddam Hussein in 2003. They'd only been pursuing them as a defensive measure. Just as North Korea has developed nukes and ballistic missiles as a defensive measure against ongoing threats bellicose actions by the United States in particular. In other words, we create many of the circumstances that we then seek to blame on the other state when it's merely taking reasonable measures in its own self-defense and self-interest. So there was no ongoing nuclear program in Iran that needed to be dealt with by that agreement. Uh, our own intel agencies arrived at that decision in 2007, reaffirmed it in 2011. 
Even uh, the Mossad agreed in 2012, just weeks before Bibi Netanyahu would go to the United Nations and assert precisely the opposite. It seems to be in politics, the bigger the liar, the further you go. So there's no Iranian threat. It's just that Israel wants to dominate the entire Middle East and doesn't want to have to put up with a, an ancient culture of a very strong nation. And that has created the situation in which we find ourselves where it appears the U.S. and Israel are now using this secret agreement to take steps against Iran that parallel those that were undertaken against uh, Ukraine. I'll comment further. Negotiate behind closed doors. The deal was a series of memorandums of understanding negotiated through National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster, which will see the establishment of multiple teams of both U.S. and Israeli officials charged with targeting different aspects of Iran from their civilian nuclear program to their mass, massive missile system, defensive missile systems. Defensive. This is ultimately expected to result in steps on the ground, though the exact details of what this means are unclear. Both Trump and Netanyahu's governments appear to have designs on confrontation with Iran, potentially military confrontation. Exactly how this will change U.S. or Israeli policy isn't very clear. In the near term, President Trump seems to be set with trying to sabotage a P5 plus 1 nuclear deal to be continued after this break. I'll be right back. Was it a conspiracy? Did you know that the police in Boston were broadcasting This is a Drill, This is a Drill on bullhorns during the marathon? That the Boston Globe was tweeting that a demonstration bomb would be set off during the marathon for the benefit of bomb squad activities? And that one would be set off in one minute in front of the library, which happened as the Globe had announced. Peering through the smoke, you could see bodies with missing arms and legs. But there was no blood. The blood only showed up later and came out of a tube. They used amputee actors and a studio-quality smoke machine. Don't let yourself be played. Check out And Nobody Died in Boston either. Available at moonrockbooks.com. That's moonrockbooks.com. What the heck is the Truth Jihad? Hey, I'm Kevin Barrett, host of Truth Jihad Radio. Federal prosecutors, Department of Homeland Security agents, and curious passersby often ask me, just what is this Truth Jihad thing anyway? Well, everybody knows what truth is, but jihad is a misunderstood term. Jihad means effort or struggle. The greater jihad is the struggle to be a better person, while the lesser jihad is the struggle to defend the community. Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, did say that the best jihad is a word of truth 
flung in the face of a tyrant. And that's what we do here at Truth Jihad Radio. Every Friday, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, 5 to 7 Pacific, right here on Revolution Radio. Find some comfort at Willow's World. A variety of news, commentary, and poetry at Willow's Poetry Corner, where there are comfy cushions and a tempting selection of delectable comestibles. A show that's quirkily and quintessentially British, with a unique twist featuring Willow Andreessen, your host. Join Willow, Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. EST, Studio B. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. Now, this piece uh, continues to say exactly how this will change U.S. or Israeli policy isn't very clear. In the near term, President Trump seems to be set with trying to sabotage the P5 plus 1 nuclear deal, and Israel is perpetually beating the war drums on Iran and, indeed, any other Shiites they come upon, so they have limited options for anything else they can do. Much of the focus is likely to be on planning and making joint speeches about how aggressive Iran is being and how super ready for war the U.S. and Israel are, though naturally there's always a risk that any such joint operations grow from another layer of bureaucracy into a launching a war outright. Now, it turns out that according to a report from Kuwait, the U.S. has given Israel the go-ahead to kill a powerful Iranian general. This is a guy, Qassam Soleimani, uh, that Israel wanted to kill him three years ago, but the U.S. tipped off the Iranians what was going on. This guy appears to be quite brilliant. He appears to have been responsible uh, for the defeat of ISIS in Syria, for the defeat of ISIS in in, uh, Iraq. And obviously, if there's going to be an effort to have a second war in Syria, the the U.S. and uh, Israel are interested in taking him out. Three years ago, Israel came close to assassinating him, but the Americans tipped off the Iranians against the background of intense disagreement between Washington and Jerusalem. That was during the Obama administration, which, according to reports at the time, was so focused on securing the 2015 Iran nuclear accord, it chose to overlook and even obstruct efforts to clamp down on Iranian-backed terror organizations, except, to my knowledge, there are no Iranian-backed terror organizations the terror organizations all come from the United States and Israel, so it's a bit much. Today, the Trump and Netanyahu administration see eye to eye on Iran. They just uh, so they signed this memorandum of understanding laying the groundwork for full cooperation to deal with Iran's nuclear drive, which is non-existent, its missile programs, which it's entitled to, and other threatening activities such as supporting Syria in defeating ISIS in that sovereign nation. The source said that uh, Soleimani's assassination would serve both countries' interests and that U.S. authorities have given Israel the go-ahead to carry it out. This is tragic. This is awful. I hope it doesn't come to pass. 
we have a further uh, understanding of what's going on from strategic culture. All is not quiet on the Syrian front. U.S. to launch another war. A classic example of flip-flop in, the U- in November, the U.S. promised Turkey to stop arming Kurdish militias in Syria after the Islamic State was routed. The U.S. Special Presidential Envoy explained after the urban fighting in Raqqa was over, adjustments in the level of military support would be made. We had to give some equipment, and it's limited, extremely limited, all of which was very transparent to our NATO ally Turkey, he said, to the Kurds. Uh, but now the situation is uh, reversed, and sophisticated weapons are now going to be sent to Syria in 2018, including thousands of anti-tank rocket launchers, heat-seeking missiles, and so forth. This is just the kind of equipment that was being given to Ukraine. So I think we got a very similar situation. It looks as though U.S. is going to try to promote a war in Syria once again, not giving up, want to... F- you know, allow for the expansion of Israel to that greater Israel of Zionist dreams. Vladimir Putin, however, is reaffirming we will continue to protect Syria's sovereignty. Moscow, Russia. The Kremlin confirmed that Russia's President Vladimir Putin assured Syrian President Bashar al-Assad that Russia will continue to protect Syria's sovereignty, unity, and territorial integrity. In his message of greetings to the people of the Syrian Arab Republic, uh, the, the president of Russia expressed hope that in 2018 the situation in Syria would continue changing for the better. Mr. Putin noted that defeating terrorists and rapidly bringing the situation in the Syrian Arab Republic back to normal would be in the best interest of the whole world and would improve security in the Middle East, which is no doubt true, but wouldn't advance the interests of Israel and of the United States. So there we are. What's actually going on, I now believe that all the focus on North Korea was to divert attention from efforts actually to subvert the government of Iran. We have uh, anti-regime protests entering, I don't know, the fourth day, whatever. Uh, there's a lot going on there. A wave of anti-government demonstrations from, pr- prompted in part by discontent over economic hardship and alleged corruption are the most serious since months of unrest in 2009 that followed the disputed re-election of then-President Mohamed Hamadjani, who is, in my opinion, a good man. Uh, We have some violence, some deaths reported, Trump's tweeting support for the demonstrators, Iran's government will hit back with an iron fist. Uh, that, that, That can potentially make matters worse, but what else are you supposed to do? I mean, we spent $5 million... Correction: Five billion American taxpayer dollars in 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 order to foment unrest in the Ukraine to drive out the democratically elected president of of Ukraine. We had a similar coup back in Iran in 1953 to drive out the democratically elected government of Iran. We have what appears to be going on here a similar effort now in Iran again. And I simply say this must not be allowed to pass. Pro-government rallies were held in some 1,200 cities and towns, all state division reported. At the same time, anti-government demonstrators broke out anew in a string of cities and in Tehran for the first time where protesters confronted and stoned riot police around the main university with pro-government crowds nearby. Uh, This to me, including clashes at Tehran University, uh, you know, this looks like classic CIA op. I mean, we brought about assassinations and coups in more than 80 countries in the world. So, you know, it's not surprising, I think, given Trump's 
hostile attitude toward Iran, which is purely based in Israel, in my opinion. I mean, why should Trump have any animus toward Iran, which has, isn't a threat to the United States in any way, shape, or form whatsoever, with a possible exception that it's participating now in the economic development of the Eurasian nations and has joined the Eurasian Union with, uh, you know, Russia and, you know, creating an alternative system. But, you know, you put the real reasons on the table. The American people don't want anything, you know, have anything to do with it. So you got to fabricate some excuse. Iranian president addressing the nation amid protests, uh, cracking down on the social media. Presumably, the entire internet in Iran will be shut down if the protest continues. If the U.S. government or the Israeli defense minister doesn't have some high-altitude means of providing independent internet to rebels in situations like this, a la Google's Project Loon, then the Pentagon Cyber Division needs a serious tactical rethink. Internet access is especially important this time because the protests are fully grassroots with no organizing leadership. Eight years ago, during the Green Revolution, the focus of the demonstration was Mir Hossein Musavi, Amanajan's presidential opponent. Musavi's having been under house arrest for years, though, and the Shah's son has been in exile for decades. If revolution is coming, internet access for Iranians that's beyond the power of the government to block may be the only option for coordination. Is this a reason why... They want to disrupt our access to the internet. Why right now they're doing this, so much censorship and taking down websites and blogs and coming into others such as my own to remove the images that demonstrate conclusively that Noah Posner, the Sandy Hook kid, uh, was in fact fa- uh, a work of fiction fabricated out of photographs of his older brother Michael Fabner. I've now had those images removed from my own blog probably a dozen times now. They take them down, I put them back up. It's rather like in uh, Apocalypse Now, where we had this bridge that the general that was destroyed by the Viet Cong every single day, and the generals would have it rebuilt again and again. Here we get a tweet from Trump. Big protests in Iran. People are finally getting wise as to how their money and wealth is being stolen and squandered on terrorism. Looks like they won't take it any longer. The USA is watching very closely for human rights violation. Well, to me, this is practically a joke. It's, it's the American taxpayer money and wealth that's being stolen and squandered on terrorism. The United States is engaged in all these operations around the world, and right now it appears, uh, uh, you know, we have uh, recently undermined the government of Ukraine uh, and in many other nations that look like we're going to continue to do so in Syria. Remember, Syria is a sovereign nation that, uh, that Bashir al-Assad is the democratically elected president of Syria. So don't fall for any of this bullshit about, you know, United States aim for freedom and democracy. We don't. We do not stand for freedom and democracy. That's a sop. That's just to pacify the public into thinking we actually stand for something when it's just greed and corruption and profit margins for transnational corporations and the exercise of power and the abuse of other people for whom we show no respect whatsoever. So the USA is watching very closely for human rights violation. That's really, again, rather humorous. And here we get revelations from the State Department itself hitting at an Iran overthrow. Are we witnessing the early stages of regime change? This comes from Government Slaves, which, by the way, is a very good website. 
The U.S. State Department has issued a formal condemnation of the Iranian government following two days of economic protests. This was published on December 30th, centering in a handful of cities calling the regime a rogue state whose chief exports are violence, bloodshed, and chaos, while announcing support for protesters. But that's just not true. It's just not true. A nation that hasn't attacked any other nation with a war of aggression since 1775 cannot be accused of exporting violence, bloodshed, and chaos. There's ample evidence that that is the practice of the United States and uh, the practice of Israel as well, not of Iran. So don't let yourself be played. I mean, there's too much complete nonsense out there. Here, Further comment. Uh, although most g- current reports strongly suggest protests are being driven fundamentally by economic grievances, the U.S. has already framed this week's events inside Iran as revolutionary in nature and aiming for transition of government. This is classic CIA propaganda. Classic. Absolutely classic. On Friday evening, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders, this is just last Friday, tweeted the following statement. Reports of peaceful protests by Iranian citizens fed up with the regime's corruption and its squandering of the nation's wealth to fund terrorism abroad. The Iranian government should respect the people's rights, including their right to express themselves. The world is watching. The media is already promoting a regime change narrative. I mean, get this. Israeli as well as Iranian opposition media commentators and, of course, pundits in the U.S. mainstream have generally appeared giddy with excitement at the prospect that protests could spread within Iran, potentially culminating in society-wide resistance and possible change of government. It goes without saying that Iran has been enemy number one for the United States and Israel to the Islamic Revolution and embassy hostage crisis beginning in in 1979, but that was in response to the, retaking the government by the people after, you know, having to endure uh, 25 or more years of tyranny by the imposed Shah of Iran in, in not, the coup of 1953. Wh- why the gross dishonesty? Because you can't be honest and make a plausible case in support of regime change. So we're being lied to all the time. You hear about the... 1979 uh, uh, taking of the embassy, but you don't hear that it was in response to having endured since 1953. That's more than 25 years of terrorism, a reign of terror by a Shah who was undemocratically imposed upon the government by a U.S. executed coup. Here we got a major Israeli international broadcast network uh, uh, talking about... uh, uh, linking the Tehran government with the use of chemical weapons in Syria, supporting the biggest butcher in the region, Bashir al-Assad, and facilitating the killing of civilians. There was no use of chemical weapons in by the Syrian government. That was done by uh, uh, the rebels. Hillary Clinton had a role in that. Russia provided a, a 50-page dossier that demonstrated the Syrian government had nothing to do with an earlier chemical attack, which led to the surrender of all of his chemical weapons and capacity to produce them by Shur, Bashir al-Assad well in advance of this latest. Well, they they simply blundered. They didn't think about the fact that that Assad didn't have these chemical weapons. So, you know, then they had to claim, well, then Russia and Syria were covering for, you know, not giving them all up. But that's that's just not the way it's playing out here. The big liars in the West, the Israel, the United States, and, and the enemies of, 
uh, of uh, Assyria and Iran. Other tweets from the generally pro-regime change media and the experts which frequent their panels seem very eager to prematurely cast this as a revolution. Imagine a free, democratic, independent, wealthy Iran. Well, it's basically a free, democratic, independent, wealthy Iran today. Yes, it is ruled by a supreme ruler. It is a, a theocracy, but it has many delega, uh, you know, democratic elements. It's a complex tapestry. Uh, why would anyone in the world think that uh, the other nations ought to model their governments on the United States? Frankly, we don't have free elections here anyway. We have them manipulated and rigged. It's all very embarrassing. Uh, we even have the Saudi royal family uh, uh, presenting the Iran protests in terms of women's rights, which is about as absurd as it gets because Saudi Arabia is among the most notorious nations in the world for violating women's rights. So you got to be able to see through all this nonsense. And you know my stronger term for it. Turning to domestic politics, it's turned out that the Department of Justice had a special national security section that's been working for over six years to undermine the Trump administration without any surveillance or supervision whatsoever. So this is a rather spectacular article about it. The mistresses of mirrored halls looking at the corrupt DOG side of Operation Trump. The leadership of the DOG, Department of Justice, and FBI are intertwined in the 2016 election opposition to support candidate Hillary Clinton and defeat candidate Donald Trump. However, most of the investigative discussion shattered around the FBI side of the equation. There's a good reason for that. The FBI side of the conspiracy is pretty straightforward. FBI Director James Comey, FBI Assistant Director Andrew McCabe, FBI Chief Legal Counsel James Baker, FBI Counterintelligence Head Bell Priestrap, and FBI counterintelligence agent Peter Strozak all played a participatory role in the Trump operation. The 2016 FBI counterintelligence op was surveillance on the Trump campaign and was thinly disguised under the fraudulent auspices of a FISA warrant sold as a defense of U.S. democracy from Russia, which permitted the wiretaps and surveillance. I hope no one listening to me today now has any doubt that there was no Russian hacking. None. I've reported so many times till I'm blue in the face. Even the book by two investigative journalists who followed the Clinton campaign shattered, explained that the whole Russian hacking meme was made up by John Podesta and Robbie Mook within 24 hours of Hillary's concession speech with multiple objectives, one, to obfuscate the incompetent campaign they had run, two, to distract attention from the contents of the WikiLeaks releases, which led to Pizzagate, where John Podesta himself was the pedophile-in-chief, and to, you know, distract attention from Hillary's own entanglements with Russia, including the transfer of 20% of American uranium reserves to Russia, through Uranium One, a Canadian company, in response for a $145 million bribe to the Clinton Foundation. Uh, so, I mean, those are the big picture elements. Two Department of Justice people, central to the FBI, relayed and acted as facilitators between the FBI side and the DOJ side. Department of Justice Deputy Bruce Orr and FBI DOJ lawyer Lisa Page. Outlines of their collaborative experts and the, and the trails they left behind have filled the headlines recently. There's some very, very nice visual 
uh, pictorials that you know demonstrate the, the how these figures were all operating to benefit Hillary Clinton, uh, Barack Obama, Loretta Lynch, James Comey, Sally Yates, Andrew McCabe, Bruce and Nellie Orr, where she was directly tied to fusion. Uh, 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 GPS, which was involved in creating the phony Russian dossier, Lisa Page, Peter Strozak, Glenn Simpson, Bill Pestrup. That's all pretty well clear. On the Department of Justice side of the op, however, specifically the DOJ leadership involvement, things are less clearly outlined. Again, there's a reason for that. The GOJ involvement surrounds legal arguments, processing of FISA applications, and use of the legal system to support the FBI with actionable legal framing against Trump after their candidate, mostly after their candidate Hillary Clinton was defeated. In essence, in a bastardized manipulation of law and order, the FBI created disorder and the DOJ weaponized that manufactured disorder to launch a legal attack against their ideological political opposition, President Donald Trump. So you had unlawfulness and disorder in lieu of law and order. However, to best understand the DOJ side, it's helpful to look at a specific time, September and October 2016. That's when the second FISA application was presented to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court using information from the FBI counterintelligence operation, the, the Christopher Steele dossier, the completely fabricated, this is about Trump having hired two prostitutes to pee on a bed Obama had slept in. I mean, it was all ridiculous, childish, totally fabricated as a basis for that application. And then we'll refine that tucked within the Department of Justice, there was a National Security Division where all the collaboration appears to have taken place. The NSD, National Security Division, is a subdivision within the DOJ similar to the Counterintelligence Division within the FBI. Using the National Security Division inside the DOJ presents a specifically useful angle for the purposes of hiding duplicitous, unethical, and unlawful conduct. Why? Well, uh, there's where the mirrored entry starts and also where it gets interesting. Responding to a 2015 request by the Department of Justice Office of Inspector General, the Department of Justice Office of Inspector General. Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates told the internal watchdog they cannot investigate the National Security Division. I mean, is that bad? they got a division that can be conducted as nefarious activities as, as you could possibly imagine that are totally, not merely unethical, uh, but unlawful and deceitful, and of course, total violations of their mandate. And it appears that key players were the assistant attorney generals, but in particular, one Mary McCord, who held that position from October of uh, 2016 to April of 2017. This is all gradually coming out in the wash. You're going to be hearing more and more about this. And uh, Devin Nunes, who's the uh, head of the House Intelligence Committee, is reasserting his role after having been sidetracked by baseless claims of conflict of interest and corruption, and he's going to take the bull by the horns. I expect you're going to be hearing a great deal about uh, Devin Nunes in the future. Now, Trump has proclaimed January 2018 as National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month, which is where now I'm very much with Trump on this. However strongly I'm opposed to his moves in the Middle East, especially to benefit Israel and to undermine Iran, 
and and uh, you know send these weapons to Ukraine and now to Syria, uh, which, which is a very serious matter. Okay, these anti-tank weapons, these are fire and forget. They they have heat seeking. They have their own capacity to target tanks. Tanks are terribly important in warfare in these regions, and therefore providing them has, as a Russian foreign minister has observed, crossed the line in Ukraine, and now we're doing the same thing in Syria. Bad, very bad. In in collaboration or exercise of Trump's declaration of this month, as opposed to you know human trafficking. Ivanka has delivered an anti-human trafficking speech at the United Nations uh, on uh, uh, Tuesday. Uh, th- this is actually from a couple of months ago. Uh, she made com- she has made combating human trafficking in the U.S. and globally a key aspect of her West Wing portfolio. So I think we can say safely that Donald's uh, dedication here has largely been uh, inspired by Ivanka, his own daughter. But it turns out that because the pedophile networks here in the United States are so vast, the Pizzagate and, and, and so significant, where many of you will recall that when I informed Jim Rothstein, an NYPD Gold Shield detective who'd cracked many pedophile cases in New York about the contents of the Anthony Weiner uh, treasure trove, which is really quite gruesome, and I asked if he were surprised. He said, no, not at all, because in his experience, 70% of the political elite in the United States is engaged in pedophilia, 70%. So if the Dono is actually draining the swamp, and there are reasons to think that that may in fact be taking case, uh, taking place, and I'm very glad for that. Here we have a December 26, 2017 report of federal agents finding dead bodies for sale in a broker's warehouse. I mean, this is really, really disturbing stuff. Here we have an anonymous uh, report. This goes along with the Q reports. Uh, Gitmo having seven new residents. Uh, three added yesterday. Uh, this, this, this was dated the 27th. More coming. Tony Podesta is supposed to be one of the new residents. Clinton hit team neutralized, four people taken out. Uh, there's a lot going on here. Bush family will be light a few members today, hints uh, uh, to George Herbert Walker Bush. Hope Gitmo has wheelchair access. Uh, Flynn will be cleared. I, I hope this is true. <coughs> And I am receiving multiple reports about it. So uh, it, it, it's looking circumstantially to be the case. But of course, you may never hear it reported on the mainstream press. Here's another from the Sargent report, which actually is very, very good, very responsible. Delta Force raids Obama stronghold in Thailand during the pre-day and uh, dawn hours on Christmas Day. Delta Force operators launched a precision strike against an Obama-controlled stronghold in Thailand, says an active Secret Service agent who claims President Trump greenlit the operation following a series of telephone calls to United States military commanders and to Thailand Prime Minister Nick Bukharin. A Delta detachment known as ISFOD in the special ops community flew from Okinawa, Japan, to the United States Embassy in Bangkok and held position while Trump cleared the incursion with his Thai counterparts. I was myself stationed in Okinawa when I was in the Marine Corps. We'll be back. We'll be back.
Revolution Radio at freedomflips.com. We'll be right back after this message. In breaking news, a visiting Syrian diplomat reported today that their population is evolving rapidly and advancing into a fifth dimensional consciousness. They are seeking peace with all cosmic cultures, which may mean that the Earth will be asked to join the prestigious Galactic Federation of Light Alliances. Please join Debbie West and Michael Hathaway on Lost Knowledge, Saturdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in Studio A, for the latest breaking news on the Star Visitor's peaceful contact and the ongoing project of cleansing the Earth. Who are you? I am the architect. I created the Matrix. I've been waiting for you. Why am I here? You are the eventuality of an anomaly which, despite my sincerest efforts, I have been unable to eliminate from what is otherwise a harmony of mathematical precision, which has led you inexorably here. You haven't answered my question. The Matrix is older than you know. As you are undoubtedly gathering, the anomaly is systemic creating fluctuations in even the most simplistic equation. Choice. The problem is choice. Right here at Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. Be here Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for Private Eye Matrix Revealed with Monique Lassonde. Even the government admits that 9-11 was a conspiracy. But did you know that it was an inside job, that Osama had nothing to do with it? That the Twin Towers were blown apart by a sophisticated arrangement of mini or micro nukes? That Building 7 collapsed seven hours later because of explosives planted in the building? Barry Jennings was there. He heard them go off and felt himself stepping over dead people. The U.S. Geological Survey conducted studies of dust gathered from 35 locations in Lower Manhattan and found elements that would not have been there had this not been a nuclear event. Ironically, that means the government's own evidence contradicts the government's official position. 9-11 was brought to us compliments of the CIA, the neocons in the Department of Defense, and the Mossad. Don't let yourself be played. Read America Nuked on 9-11. Available at MoonRockBooks.com. That's MoonRockBooks.com. This is Thomas, a.k.a. a mad painter. I'd like you to join me Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Open Canvas. Don't forget to bring an open mind. Yes, folks, that's right. Bring an open mind to an open canvas. Again, that is Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern. UFOs to government corruption. This is Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. Moscow's freeze. That's your cerebral cortex looking for an answer it doesn't have. See? Even your brain knows you're screwed. The blood is filling with adrenaline right now. Whether you know it or not, your heart's beating fast. 
is in our thoughts of the future. It is a product of our imagination, causing us to fear things that do not at present and may not ever exist. That is mere insanity. Do not misunderstand me. Danger is very real, but fear is a choice. We are all telling ourselves a story. You're listening to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. 100% listener-supported radio. Reporting the danger, unafraid, right here, where information never sleeps. Revolution, Revolution. Radio! This is Maggie Rose McGrath of The Conquered Show. And co-host, Marine Corps Map, coming to you on Monday and Tuesdays in Studio A, noon to 2 Eastern. And Studio B on Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. to 12 a.m. Eastern, with educational, instructional information and situational updates, often with wonderful guests on the current landscape in the U.S. and overseas. This is a go, 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 go. We are with you side to side and back to back. Please join us on Monday through Wednesdays. As well as other hosts and guests here on Revolution Radio. 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 We're not gonna take it anymore. That's right, we're not gonna take it anymore. We said we're not gonna take it anymore. That's right, we're not gonna take it anymore. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. <laughs> okay, remember now, you know, Tuesdays I'll be giving the overviews of the latest developments and Thursdays featuring special guests, and I think you're going to not want to miss the fellow I got lined up for Thursday and the following week. Now, this sergeant report you can find online entitled, Their Worst Nightmare is Coming True, 2017 was a great year for truth, and 2018 will be a very bad year for traitors and pedophiles. And thanks to President Trump, Hillary Clinton, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and Barack Obama's worst nightmares are coming true. It's interesting about the story about the raid on the compound as follows. According to our source, the Trump administration learned that Obama, by proxy, owned a mansion and a 400-acre estate on the outskirts of the city of uh, a, a size, say, kit, approximately 500 kilometers from Bangkok on paper. The, la- the land was owned by the allegedly defunct Sol- Solyndra Corporation, a startup solar company to which Obama gave $2.2 billion taxpayer dollars in 2009. 
Shortly thereafter, Solyndra declared bankruptcy and the money vanished. Despite apparent poverty, Solyndra maintained real estate holdings valued at over $800 million in a half a dozen Southeast Asian countries. The Trump administration connected the dots, linking Obama to the Thai property, after asserting presidential privilege and subpoenaing flight records that demonstrably proved Obama traveled to Sai Seesaw Kent six times as president, an additional four times in the past year. That's rather fascinating stuff. Here we have from Scott Adams' blog, and it's included in the Sargent Report, Their Worst Nightmare is Coming, The Demolition President. President Trump has delivered on a number of promises for his base, but there was an impressive amount of breakage along the way. You might say uh, that President Trump did as much demolition as he did construction. The press is doing a good job of telling us what he accomplished uh, in 2017. Uh, but they keep leaving out all the stuff he broke that probably needed to be broken. I'll fix that for you here. GOP. Trump broke the GOP and reconstructed along its, his term successfully, it seemed, DNC. The DNC has no charismatic leader, no game plan, little money. Clinton dynasty done. Bush dynasty done. FBI leadership. The FBI as a whole is still highly credible, but the leadership is not. Pundits. Nearly all the pundits were wrong about Trump's nomination, election, and successful uh, by Republican standards, first year. Government regulations, for good or bad, we have fewer regulations now. Hollywood, but stars are alienating 40% of their potential audience whenever they take time off from groping. North Korea, they used to have a pathetic but functioning economy. That situation is changing rapidly. I don't think we ought to be out to destroy North Korea. I think that's pointless and, and, and counterproductive, and I frankly do believe it's been a distraction from attention about what's going on in the Middle East, especially in relation to Iran. ISIS, remember ISIS? They used to be a big deal. TPP, Trans-Pacific Partnership, pulled out. Paris Climate Accord pulled out. Reality. I told you in 2015 candidate Trump would change more than politics. I told you he would change the way we saw reality. Do you remember when you thought the news reported facts and that humans use those facts to make reasoned decisions? You probably don't think that anymore. I'm probably leaving st other stuff that got broken. It's been a, a busy year. Here's a particularly interesting claim you find reported there. Uh, Q QAnon claims Debbie Wasserman Schultz put out a contract to MS-13 Hispanic gang members to murder Seth Rich, both to punish him for the heist and to prevent him from doing further damage to Hillary's campaign in the DNC. If, Hillary, if uh, Debbie had a role there, it would be carrying out orders from John Podesta, for whom we have other reports that he decided that they had to set an example of leakers, and they, he wasn't even fussy about the strength of the evidence they'd actually been leaking. Seth Rich fit the bill perfectly because we know now he was the source of the leaks by way of Craig Murray to Julian Assange, which he's been publishing. Here we have a, 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 a Donald Trump tweet. Given DWS, that's Debbie Wasserman Schultz, likely connection to Seth Rich's murder, please investigate. Hashtag John Podesta's ties to the death of hashtag Scalia. On February 9, 2016, Podesta wrote, I'm all in. We need to buckle up and double down. He then refers to wet work. Scalia was dead on the 13th. I do believe there was funny business with the death of Anton Scalia and that it has never been properly investigated. And that's rather shocking considering he was an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. 
Facebook says it's deleting accounts at the direction of the U.S. and Israeli governments. This is rather shocking. In fact, I at one point considered making this the opening story for today's discussion. In September of last year, we noticed that Facebook representatives were meeting with the Israeli government to determine which Facebook accounts of Palestinians should be deleted on the ground that they constituted incitement. The meetings, called for and presided over by one of the most extremist and authoritarian Israeli officials, pro-settlement justice minister Aliette Sheked, came after Israel threatened Facebook and that its failure to voluntarily comply with Israeli deletion orders would result in the enactment of laws requiring Facebook to do so upon pain of being severely fined or even blocked in the country. I mean... That's really something, isn't it, bossing, bossing Facebook around, along? I don't think that uh, that it, Jeff Zuckerman required a lot of inducement. It seemed to me he's been all too willing to cooperate. The predictable results of those meetings are now clear and well-documented. Facebook has been on a semper, censorship rampage against Palestinian activists who protest the decades-long illegal Israeli occupation all directed and determined by Israeli officials. I mean, think about it. Facebook is operating as an agent of the Israeli government, essentially as an extension of the Mossad, uh, where uh, uh, it turns out that Amazon.com, for example, removed all of its books, I mean, hundreds of books that discuss the Holocaust, taking a critical stance, because when you look into it, you find it's rather d- easy to falsify the official account. Uh, check out my article online, uh, The Holocaust Narrative, Politics, Trump, Science, because uh, all of us need to know. In fact, my attitude has always been about the Holocaust, that if it were real, then r- research would confirm it. And if it was not, the world deserves to know. Well, that's indeed the case. So when there's so much, uh, you know, disproof or falsification of this particular narrative, uh, which could be described as a mass illusion, uh, Amazon goes about uh, you know, banning books. This was in my, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either. My second book banned by Amazon, not because of the chapters on the moon landing, which we have proven again and again and again was uh, impossible at the time. We didn't have the propulsion power. We didn't have the computing power. We couldn't overcome the Van Allen radiation belt. Uh, I mean, the evidence is just stunning and abundant. If you want a a perfect introduction, try the the video. It's less than one hour. It's only about 45 minutes entitled Conspiracy Theory, Did We Land on the Moon?, which I discovered during a visit to London when I turned on one of the BBC channels and it was playing, it appealed to me because it offers one scientific proof after another that we did not go to the moon. That's a great place to begin if you want to get serious about the issue of the moon landing. In any case, Israeli officials have been publicly boasting about how obedient Facebook is when it comes to Israeli censorship orders. Shortly after news broke earlier this month of the agreement between the Israeli government and Facebook, Israeli Justice Minister Ailet Sheked said Talavid had submitted 158 requests to the social media giant over the previous four months, asking it to remove content it deemed incitement. She said Facebook had granted 95% of the requests. She's right. The submission to Israeli dictates it's hard to overstate, as the New York Times put it in December of last year. 
Israeli security agencies monitor Facebook and send the company posts they consider incitement. Facebook has responded by removing most of them. What makes this censorship particularly consequential is that 96% of Palestinians said their primary use of Facebook was for following the news. That means Israeli officials have virtually unfettered control over a key communication forum for Palestinians. Not only that, but the, uh, co- collect, the activist collective Palestinian Information Center reported that at least 10 of their administrators' accounts for their Arabic and English Facebook pages, followed by more than 2 million people, have been suspended, seven of them permanently, which they say is a result of new measures put in place in the wake of Facebook's meeting with Israel. This is completely disgraceful. Needless to say, Israelis have virtually free reign to post whatever they want about the Palestinians. Calls by Israelis for the killing of Palestinians are commonplace on Facebook and remain largely undisturbed. I mean, how bad is that? We have an interesting development that, alarmed by the proliferation of false content online, state lawmakers in Iowa and around the country are pushing schools to put more emphasis on teaching students how to tell fact from fiction. Now, it's got to be more than just telling them to go to the fact-checking sites like, you know, Snopes and so forth, because those are completely fraudulent and, and run by the government. If they learn how to conduct research over the Internet, that will be emancipating, because they'll discover the vast majority of, of the fake news is coming from the mainstream media, not from the alternative press. So McClatchy is, you know, boasting about this, but you want to bear in mind the result of uh, Facebook, where it ditched its fake news flag after people shared flagged articles even more than they had before. (laughs) The crusade attempted to dissuade people from sharing certain content, like the 100,000 of Russian ads that apparently changed the course of human history, which it did not. I mean, that's just nonsense by shaming them with a big red caution flag underneath a post. Unfortunately, after a year of trials, it seems that Facebook users were not shamed by Zuckerberg's scarlet letter, but actually wore it as a badge of honor and shared those articles even more than they otherwise would have. So I think we're going to find these efforts to defeat fake news aren't going to work. Here we have a new report. Actually, there are a couple aspects to this uh, uh, about the role of the CIA in uh, forging Obama's birth certificate. This was published on InfoWars on December 12, 2017 by Jerry Corsi, who's well-known in the JFK research community, is a very responsible guy. So when you see something on Facebook coming from Jerry Corsi, it's very reasonable that you should take it seriously. Included here, and you can find this on YouTube, evidence of CIA role in forging Obama's birth certificate, there's a, a look at that shows multiple layering of the birth certificate, meaning that it had been created by a process of overlaying phony information and so forth into what appears to have been originally a blank form. Uh, I must say, years and years ago on R- R- Radio Fetzer, I mean, one of my earlier shows, but it's archived today at radiofetzer.blogspot.com, I had an expert on to go through the Obama birth certificate from Hawaii, and we long since dis- determined that it was totally fraudulent. Here's a, a Jerry Corsi is, a, you know, I think doing a good job with respect to this. A while back, of course, we had on December 15, 2016, we had Sheriff Joe Apio holding a, der- a, a, a press conference 
confirming that Obama's birth certificate was a forgery. Uh, and in fact, I'd done my own independent research. This was clear back on December 19th, September 19th, 2015. September 19th, 2015. So when was Joe Opio's? December 15th, 2016. So mine was uh, September 19th, 2015. So I was more than a year ahead of Sheriff Joe, who's a good man and commands a very large audience. Uh, but I had uh, on the real deal episode number 103, the first 20 minutes were devoted to trashing Trump unjustly uh, for his raising the birther issue about Obama. He decided it was more effort than it was worth to defend it, but he was completely correct, just as he has been time and time again. Here is what appears to be the actual authentic Obama birth certificate. It's got his footprint on the birth certificate. Uh, because of the existence of this birth certificate, the CIA uh, falsified, created a fabricated alternative Kenyan birth certificate, obviously a fake. So if anyone raised questions about the Kenyan birth certificate, they could simply say, oh yeah, but that's been debunked, you know, trading on the ambiguity. Well, for Christmas, we got a question of why we need more conspiracy theorists. Uh, I have uh, published this, and it's uh, one of my uh, most important uh, publications, I dare say, because it's talking about how, how there's a fundamental difference in attitude between the conspiracy theorists and the public in general. The public in general simply accepts what they're told by the media and doesn't seek to test it for its truth or falsity. Uh, conspiracy theorists, on the other hand, uh, pursue these issues by attempting to falsify the theories the government's advancing. Well, there's reason to believe that what the government is telling us may very well be false and promoted for to promote a political agenda. Here, here is how it begins. No public revelations, uh, public relations effort in the 20th century has rivaled that of the CIA attacking critics of the Warren Report. 1964 as conspiracy theorists in a memorandum of April 1967 implying that unless those speaking out knew everything there was to know about what happened to JFK, they should not be taken seriously. The early critics of the government's official account of the assassination, such as Mark Lane, Jim Garrison, and David Lifton, among others, were observing that the narrative the public was given could not withstand critical scrutiny. That the critics are uh, right and the reports are wrong has been characteristically distorted by assuming that what we are being told by the government must be true. The CIA's public relations campaign has now been extended to the mainstream press, with the agency long since targeted for infiltration through Operation Mockingbird, where as early as 1975, its director, William Colby, testified to Congress that the agency owns everyone of significance in the media. The alternative media did not exist at the time, but has emerged as a significant source of what we ought to call inconvenient truths that the government wants to suppress, lest it should lose such credibility as it may retain in the eyes and ears of the public through virtually endless propaganda and disinformation via newspapers, magazines, and especially television. So you had an effort that began in the 50s, uh, that was intended to infiltrate the media, and it's been incredibly successful, so that by 1975, William Colby, its director, could report 
that the agency owns everyone of significance. Remind you, everyone of significance in the media, where at the time there was no alternative media. Carl Bernstein, who would later attain great fame when co-authoring with uh, uh, Bob Woodward, All the President's Men, about the Watergate scandal, published an article in Rolling Stone in 1977 entitled The CIA and the Media, in which he laid out the results of his own investigation that demonstrated, you know, reported that high officials of the agency had told him that their greatest successes had been with Time Life, with the New York Times, and with CBS. And in that era, if you controlled Time Life, the New York Times, and CBS, you had a lock on the American media. Today, virtually all the news that isn't local comes through the uh, Associated Press and Reuters, and the, the Associated Press appears to be controlled by the agency, Reuters by the Rothschilds, so that you have a, a clear domination of the media, where unless you're able to resort to the Internet to conduct research on your own, which might otherwise require you know, enormously more time and effort to go to libraries and painstakingly track down articles and books and so forth to obtain the relevant evidence, Today you can do research through the internet that enables us to solve these cases in seemingly breathtaking time. You know, if it's taken over 50 years, let us say, to put together the pieces with regard to the assassination of JFK, with regard to 9-11, I, I, I mean, the time has been more than cut in half. Uh, I mean, uh, there have been major, major exposés about about 9-11, you know, I founded Scholars for 9-11 Truth in December of 2005. I was the keynote speaker at the American Scholars Conference in Los Angeles organized by Alex Jones, where during the panel discussion, four members of Scholars participated. Stephen Jones, a physicist from BYU, uh, Bob Bowman, uh, Air Force ace in World War in the Korean War, where he had more than he had 101 kills, I mean that's simply staggering. But his greater claim to fame was he had a degree in nuclear engineering from Caltech, and he supervised the Star Wars project for Presidents uh, Carter, Reagan, and Ford. And then there was Webster Tarpley, who published a quite brilliant book entitled "9/11: Synthetic Terror Made in the USA," and where uh, I then was the fourth. Uh, speaking as the founder of Scholars about the top 10 reasons we know the hijackers were fake, and where C-SPAN you know, recorded the whole hour and 45 minutes and put it up seven or eight times, you ought to be able to find it online. The American Scholars Conference panel discussion on C-SPAN. Definitely worth watching because you can see how much we had, had learned, how much we knew about it already by 2006. Now it's just five years later. Today, overwhelmingly more, I mean, I've organized many different conferences, been flown around the world to address 9-11. There's a generally, a generally, a general awakening. I organized a, a second Midwest 9-11 Truth Conference as a virtual conference with 15 different components, seven sessions devoted to how it was done, seven more on who was responsible and why, you can find right on my blog. You can get a tremendous update about 9-11 just by searching for the Midwest 9-11 Truth Conference 2, Roman numeral 2. 
And that should bring you to it, where part one has, as I say, seven parts, part two, seven more. And where you get, you know, engineers, uh, mechanical, structural, what have you, talking about how it was done, experts on aeronautics, about the crash sites and all that, you can find it there. And then another seven on who who is responsible and why. Uh, As far as my own contributions are concerned, I recently did a two-hour overview about 9-11 that's rather comprehensive where you can bring yourself up to date by going to Brian Rue, just put in R-U-H-E, Brian Rue, comma, 9-11, and you'll have that two-hour review, just as I will add, I've done another two-hour review about JFK. Let me continue about the article of mine, which I encourage everyone to check out, you know, for Christmas. We, what we, why we need more conspiracy theorists. Why we need more conspiracy theorists. Because conspiracy theories are testing and probing the stories the government uh, promotes by adopting a falsificationalist approach of the kind advocated by the great British philosophers Sir called Popper, who suggested that you should never uh, take uh, any evidence as supportive unless it was resulted from unsuccessful attempts to falsify an hypothesis. If you find you've made multiple attempts to falsify the hypothesis and you've been unable to do so, that's a good reason to think it might be true. More when we return. conspiracies have you ever wondered if we really did go to the moon if Paul McCartney died in 1966 and was replaced by an even better musician did you know that Saddam Hussein died in a B-1 bomber strike on 7 April 2003 and was replaced by one of his doubles who was put on trial and hanged in his place or that Osama bin Laden died in Afghanistan on the 15th of December 2001 and was buried in an unmarked grave in accordance with Muslim traditions that the raid in Pakistan was faked there's more including four chapters about the end of World War II which prove that events we've been taught were very different than we have been told Don't let yourself be played. Read, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either. Available at moonrockbooks.com. That's moonrockbooks.com. Looking for a nightcap to fill your listening needs? Come join us on Spaced Out Radio with me, Dave Scott, right here on Revolution Radio. Monday through Friday for three hours a night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, we will take you down the supernatural path. 
from ET contact to the paranormal and all of the spiritual, cryptid, and conspiracy stories in between. You can find us right here on Revolution Radio at spacedoutradio.com, on Twitter at spacedoutradio, and on Facebook at Spaced Out Radio Show. Spaced Out Radio, it's a night of talk and interaction. Are you experienced? Even the government admits that 9-11 was a conspiracy. But did you know that it was an inside job? That Osama had nothing to do with it. That the Twin Towers were blown apart by a sophisticated arrangement of mini or micro nukes. That Building 7 collapsed seven hours later because of explosives planted in the building. Barry Jennings was there. He heard them go off and felt himself stepping over dead people. The U.S. Geological Survey conducted studies of dust gathered from 35 locations in Lower Manhattan and found elements that would not have been there had this not been a nuclear event. Ironically, that means the government's own evidence contradicts the government's official position. 9-11 was brought to us compliments of the CIA, the neocons and the Department of Defense, and the Mossad. Don't let yourself be played. Read American Nuked on 9-11. Available at MoonRockBooks.com. That's MoonRockBooks.com. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. In this uh, particular blog, I talk about how, you know, psychologists have been particularly bad in in their research here, where I give three different cases. Actually, one is is from a psychological study where they define, they define conspiracy theories as a subset of false beliefs. In other words, by definition, conspiracy theories are, are false, which is obviously absurd. I mean, conspiracies only involve two or more individuals acting together to bring about an illegal end. We have all kinds of cooperative efforts that don't involve conspiracies because their objective isn't illegal. I mean, virtually any business, any company, any sports team, for example, they're competing together, more than uh, two or more individuals, to bring about a goal, maybe to win a football game. I was very gratified when the Badgers beat Miami, by the way. It was a terrific football team, football game. Uh, and if any of you, you know, are into it, the TCU victory was over Stanford was electrifying. I just mentioned this in passing. I've never seen such a sensational second half. And in the Badger game, the second quarter was simply brilliant where where our, our quarterback, who's been much maligned, made three TDs in one quarter with precision passing. Really marvelous stuff. Well, back to conspiracy theories. As I mentioned here, conspiracy theorists have received a bad rap, which has extended to studies by psychologists and philosophers that suggest that those who embrace conspiracy theories suffer from cognitive deficits, such as a need for closure or the incapacity to accept that sometimes minor causes, such as a lone demented gunman, 
can bring about major effects, such as a change in the politics of the United States. Properly understood, however, conspiracy theorists turn out to be more intelligent and open-minded and less gullible than those who attack and ridicule them, which today includes most of the CIA-controlled media. This is not an opinion, but a fact. It turns out to be a matter of methodology. I mean, the fact is that if you're willing to not simply accept what you're told, you are showing greater mental agility than to merely passively accept what, you know, the government tells you or what the the media promotes. In fact, we've discovered that television is the greatest uh, entity, the greatest instrument of propaganda the world has ever known. And, you know, you, you... Go back to William Colby, read about Operation Paperclip. I just published about both the CIA involvement in the assassination of JFK and in Operation uh, 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 Mockingbird, not Paperclip. Paperclip was when they brought in about 1,500 Nazi scientists and intel officers into the American government in the wake of World War II who I'm sorry to say no doubt had a highly corrupting influence on the conception of the CIA, which Harry Truman eventually concluded had been his greatest mistake. Well, you know, just to extend the point I was making heretofore, one psychological study, which has four different authors, and I discuss it in, in the blog, uh, define conspiracy theories as a subset of, of false beliefs, which is about as absurd as it gets. I mean, look, conspiracy for whatever is the most widely prosecuted crime in the United States. Check it out. Look up crime statistics. Conspiracy to commit robbery. Conspiracy for fraud. Uh, most American conspiracies, by the way, turn out to be economic. Surprise, surprise. In capitalistic society, we're... People want to, you know, make money and they want to cut corners in order to do it. I mean, look at this on the world stage. Here we are seeking to subvert cooperation between China, Pakistan, and Iran, you know, in developing commerce. Why? Because it's going to affect the, the profit margins of American corporations or reduce the influence of America, not to mention Israel in the Middle East. I mean... Think about the ultimate motives here, and it's not difficult to discern that most of what we're hearing about are uh, conspiracies of one type or another. So if you shut yourself off to conspiracies, you're not going to have a very good idea. You're not going to have any understanding what's going on. When I wrote my first uh, serious article about conspiracy theories, it's entitled Thinking About Conspiracy Theories, 9-11 and JFK, where I use JFK as an illustrative case to explain the principles, in which you can download, I believe, uh, on the internet, thinking about conspiracy theories, 9-11 and JFK, which I highly recommend because you get a, a very clean, uh, a straightforward explanation of scientific method as having four steps or stages, puzzlement. Something occurs, you don't quite understand what's going on, so you 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 got to sort it out. Speculation, what are the possible explanations that would resolve your puzzlement? Adaptation of hypotheses to evidence. What is the probability of the available evidence if various hypotheses were true? Uh, if you have a corpse that has, you know, bruising on the neck, 
but no other damage to the body. What's the probability they were shot, for example, they died from being shot? Well, the probability they died from being shot when there are no bullet wounds is uh, zero. Uh, what's the probability they were stabbed? Well, the probability they were stabbed when there are no stab wounds, again, is approximately zero. Uh, what about the probability they were strangled? Well, since there are bruise marks on the neck, the probability that they were strangled is not zero. And being not zero is greater than zero. So when you look at hypotheses, the one that confers a higher probability on the evidence is a preferable hypothesis that, technically speaking, has the greater likelihood where the hypothesis with the highest likelihood is entitled to be accepted when the evidence has settled down. So, it, it, but, but it's subject to being overruled when you get more evidence or information. Thus, for example, if you send the body off for an autopsy and the toxicological tests come back and it turns out that, that while he, the, 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 the corpse had bruise marks around their neck, that they actually died from being poisoned, okay, died from being poisoned then obviously that's evidence that isn't taken into account by the, and can't be explained by the alternative hypotheses of being shot or stabbed or strangled, okay? So in science, you have to take that additional evidence into account. This has occurred here in the very serious context of 9-11 research by the U.S. Geological Survey dust sample studies at 35 locations in New York. It turns out... It, as you actually heard during the promo for America nuked on 9-11. They showed the presence of a whole host of elements, barium, strontium, lithium, lanthanum, tritium, and others, some of which only exist in radioactive form, who, whose presence would be inexplicable were this not a nuclear event. We also have the buildings, the Twin Towers, turning into very fine dust. That's another signature of the use of nuclear events, uh, devices. We have... Uh, you know, it's molten metal in the sub-basements that existed from 9-11 until the 1st of December. That, that's another effect of nuclear events. They generate such high temperatures that they'll take steel and reduce it to its elements, which are carbon and iron, and you have these pools of molten iron in the sub-basement. Well, frankly, the use of mini or micro-nukes, uh, or alternatively, possibly larger nukes, but I have disputed that hypothesis. In any case, nuclear devices is the only alternative among the various that have been proposed that can account for the molten metal in the sub-basements and the buildings being converted to very fine dust and the presence of all of those elements from the U.S. Geological Survey. So... You know, it does turn out that the government's own evidence refutes the government's own conclusion. But it also counts against Judy Wood, who claims to be scientific. But when I posted a review of her book where I pointed out that it seemed to me she had, uh, you know, ruled out the use of large nukes, but hadn't ruled out many or micro nukes, uh, and then subsequently updated it by enlisting, you know, the elements that she had excluded. The response from her followers were simply to attack me again and again. You, if you go to my review of her book, this is not her book, this is her, my review of her book, you find there are over 7,500 attacks on my review of her book for pointing out something that's obvious if you stop and think about it, namely that she hasn't taken into account the U.S. geological dust study evidence, and, and therefore she's no longer acting scientifically. When you simply dismiss or ignore relevant evidence, you're violating a principle known as the requirement of total evidence. 
And that's happened here in many contexts. We now have new proofs about JFK, for example, uh, that the, Lee Oswald was standing in the doorway during the motorcade, which was the belief of Harold Weisberg, of, of Jim Garrison, and, and of other more recent students of the subject where we've been able to nail it down. Let me continue ever so briefly, and I'll come back to more illustrations. But where, when all the evidence points in the same direction, you're entitled to accept the most likely hypothesis as the explanation, but in the tentative, infallible fashion of science, if you have a chance, write it down, thinking about conspiracy theories, uh, 9-11 and JFK. Because in the latter parts of that article, I went through a, a, a then-current issue of the New York Times, of the New York Times, and on page after page after page, uh, there were stories you could not understand unless you realized they were talking about a conspiracy. I mean, page after page after page, virtually every story, every major story dealt with a conspiracy. So, you know, this idea that, you know, all conspiracies are false is simply absurd. Uh, a, a, full, uh, a fellow teaching a logic course had notes that said, the problem with conspiracy theories is that they're unfalsifiable. That means you make the claim and you can't prove whether it's true or false. Well, that's a, a classic problem with regard to the existence of God. It, it, if you define God as a transcendent entity outside of space-time who you know, can affect everything, knows everything, all-powerful, all-knowing, there's no possible way you can prove the existence of God. There's no... Uh, 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 a valid logical derivation that doesn't beg the question by taking for granted God's existence, because in, in deductive reasoning, the consequences you can validly derive simply recapitulate part or all of the content of the premises. So if you didn't beg the question by building God into the premises, it'd be impossible for you to derive it by valid reasoning. And inductively, you can't establish it because that's based upon observation, experimentation, and measurement. But that's all restricted to space-time, to the world that's available to us through experience. Well, if you can't prove the existence of God deductively and can't prove the existence of God inductively, then you can't prove the existence of God, which means that it's an un it's an unfalsifiable hypothesis. You can't disprove because you can't disprove it either. You can either prove that God exists, nor you can prove that God does not exist. So it's not verifiable, it's not falsifiable, it's not amenable to deductive or inductive reasoning. That's a perfect example. But the claim that JFK was killed by a conspiracy and Lee Oswald was innocent, that's perfectly provable. We have a mountain of evidence for it. I'll talk about some as we proceed. In any case, I include a recent study. Majority of Americans believe in 9-11 conspiracies by the uh, OC Weekly, uh, 28 October 2016, where Chapman University, which conducts an annual research on this, reported that a majority of Americans can find common ground in the belief that government is concealing information about 9-11. According to its research, close to 55% believe there was more to the 9-11 attack than the government has revealed to the public. With those who believe there was a cover-up in the assassination of JFK at 50%, runs closely behind. The following chart shows a graphical representation. It goes all the way from about 55% that there's more to 9-11, 50% JFK, uh, down to only 25%. Uh, my goodness, I can't even read it. Uh, check it out, check it out. Good stuff, good stuff. 
Now, I've just published two additional blogs from a guy named Robert Crowley who was very expansive in discussing the, the, the assassination of JFK and the whole history of the CIA, in fact, and it's very, very revealing. So one I, I put up on Saturday, December 30th, Robert Crowley, 1963, JFK assassination, a confession of the CIA's complicity. Editor's note. This section on 1963 JFK assassination comes from a lengthy piece published by the Institute for the Study of Globalization and Covert Politics, 16 August 2014, by a guy named Joel V. D. Ryden, who actually introduced a whole lot of comments of his own that were intended to spin away from the accurate account, uh, highly accurate account given by Robert Crowley. His account of the assassination of JFK amounts to a confession of the complicity of the agency. The conspiracy appears to have begun in Los Angeles, where LBJ forced himself on the ticket with JFK. That's my note. He admits that Lee Harvey Oswald was the patsy and had not fired a shot. That's Crowley. My personal interaction with Gregory Douglas, who had actually uh, published an earlier version of this, has been documented in assassinationresearch.com, where he claimed that the KGB had reconstructed the crime with a three-shot scenario, which is simply absurd. They, like the CIA, knew better. This is pretty interesting stuff. And, and, and another article about George H.W. Bush as a Dealey Plaza coordinator. I mean, we got photographs of Bush there on the scene in front of the book depository. He was arrested coming out of the Dow tax. A deputy sheriff kept a record of it. He, he then get, went back. We had got Edward Lansdale walking past the tramps. Then a photograph of Lansdale Awakenings that speak to Bush, where Bush appears to have supervised a JFK hit team in the Daltex building, which according to the latest reports coming forth on the new JFK show, which you can find archived at the Gary King uh, uh, YouTube channel, the new JFK show, the Daltex was actually owned by the Mossad. Uh, I knew the CIA had, had control of the uranium mining outfit, uh, but it appears that the, there was more extensive uh, involvement by Israel in the JFK assassination than I have heretofore appreciated. In addition, we have uh, that Lyndon Johnson ignited the reign of terror that continues to this day, uh, is supported by the new book, The Men Who Killed Kennedy, The Case Against LBJ by Roger Stone with Mike uh, Colapetro. Quote, the notable individuals who knew and said Johnson was involved in murderous acts is also well documented. They include Oswald uh, murderer Jack Ruby. we got to put a question mark by that because Ralph Sinkay has presented evidence that suggests it wasn't actually Ruby who sought him, but shot Lee, but someone who appeared to be impersonating Ruby, an FBI agent, so they could have someone they knew to be reliable. Who knows, maybe Jack Ruby would have backed out at the last minute. Dexter Scott King, son of Dr. Martin Luther King, as well as LBJ associate Billy Saul Estes, LBJ mistress Madeline Brown, by, with whom, by the way, I had over 100 conversations, Texas Governor Alan Shivers, renowned Texas Ranger Clint Peoples, CIA asset E. Howard Hunt, U.S. Senator and 64 Republican nominee Barry Goldwater, the KGB, fearing that they or their puppet state Cuba would be falsely blamed, conducted their own investigation and concluded LBJ killed JFK. At the same time, French intelligence will tell Jackie Kennedy LBJ murdered her husband. If this is just too much to accept, look at the Skull and Bones operative who just happened to be a, a, a Texas oilman. 
Similarly, he was the vice president at the time of an assassination attempt that was almost successful, sure. Just a coincidence should be fodder for an Oliver Stone sequel about uh, 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 Ronald Reagan. Consider the CIA component in the big event. Did George H.W. Bush coordinate a JFK hit team? Uh, Next, George Bush can be seen in photos of Dealey Plaza next to the Texas School Book Depository doorway and Ed Lansdale shortly following the assassination. These photos unmistakably George Bush tell us where he went after he left the Dallas Sheriff's Office back to the crime scene to get an update on all he'd missed. He must have made his call to the FBI reporting James Parrott from the Dallas Sheriff's Office at 145 because Bush is seen in the Dealey Plaza with Lansdale, who would leave the plaza about 2 p.m. and walk past the three tramps toward the parking lot. This James Parrott thing is Bush, I think, inadvisedly tried to make a call in to report he'd overheard someone talking about shooting Jack. It was all complete nonsense intended to put him at a different location at the time. Bush obviously had to go straight back to Dealey Plaza for him to be photographed with Lansdale, remained around Dealey Plaza until Oswald was arrested at the Texas Theater at 1.50 p.m. Now that indeed is the time that uh, Lee Oswald was arrested, which is fascinating because the arrest report on Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, which states this man shot and killed President John F. Kennedy and police officer J.D. Tippett. He also shot and wounded Governor John Connolly is date timed at 1.40. Date timed at 1.40. So it's not only declaring conclusions, but it's, uh, you know, written 10 minutes before the actual arrest took place, which is simply absurd. There's also a very good piece by Crowley on the early 1950s, Operation Mockingbird taking control of the media. Uh, This section of my comment, on early 1950s, Mockingbird taking charge of the media comes from a lengthy piece published by the Institute for the Study of Globalization and Covert Politics. Uh, his discussion of Operation Mockingbird appears to be well-founded, where uh, Rijin attempts to spin his further con- confession of the complicity of the CIA in the assassination of JFK, which I discussed in a sequel, as though it were not. Robert Crowley was revealing too much truth about the agency and its role in the death of our 35th president which Ryogen appears to have been doing his best to deflect. Well, let me just say, we know so much here, and if it were not for probing, challenging, questioning the death of JFK, you know, the official account, we'd still believe it was a lone demanded gunman who fired three lucky shots. The medical evidence about which I have published so very much in, in multiple books, including for initially assassination science, 1998, including the brilliant studies of the autopsy x-rays by David W. Mantic, MD, PhD, which established that the autopsy x-rays had been altered to conceal a fist-sized blowout at the back of the head, that there was internal evidence in the x-rays of a second shot to the head, and where Bob Livingston, MD, a world authority on the human brain, concluded that uh, the, the, the brain shown in the diagrams and photographs could not be the brain of JFK, including, among other points, because it showed a completely intact cerebellum, which is a compact part of the brain just above the, the brainstem, uh, in contradiction to eight or ten physicians at Parkland describing extruding cerebellar as well as cerebral tissue from the whole where I have a, a, a Charles Carrico, who was there in uh, trauma room number one, another MD, 
who was the last physician to observe JFK's body before it was wrapped up and put in the bronze ceremony of Casca, where he closed JFK's eyes. Which makes it striking that when we have another photograph that's supposed to be an autopsy photograph, which we've been able to show is not actually even the body of JFK, the eyes are opened when they ought to have been closed. And it was also responsible for the care and treatment of his alleged assassin, uh, uh, Lee Oswald, two days later. You know, where he even received a phone call from LBJ asking for a deathbed confession from the from the assailant, but where Carrico had to explain to him that he didn't believe he was going to die, that he'd taken a turn for the better, but where LBJ told him there'd be a man there waiting to take the confession, and when he returned to trauma room number two, there was a sinister-looking guy in a trench coat who appears to have been David Sanchez Morales. Uh, but but Lee took a turn for the worst, died, no deathbed concession. When, when E. Howard Hunt gave his confession... Uh, his, his, his to his son St. John, whom I know personally, he described the chain of command and going from LBJ to Cord Meyer, who was a head of covert ops for CIA at the time, to David Atlee Phillips, who was in charge of Western Hemisphere for CIA at the time, to William Harvey, who had supervised assassinations all over the world, to David Sanchez Morales, and then were below uh, Morales were. George Herbert Walker Bush, Edward Lansdale, and the various mechanics where I've identified six of them by name, a Dallas deputy sheriff, an Air Force expert, a Dallas policeman who would also stand in for Lee Oswald as the body double in the backyard photographs, a soldier of fortune, Lyndon Johnson's personal hitman who murdered a dozen people for Lyndon, including one of his own uh, sisters. I mean, this is stunning stuff. Anyone who wants to pursue it, then you can find this two-hour overview I did, again, with Brian Rue, R-U-H-E. Just put in Brian Rue, R-U-H-E, J-F-K, and you'll have access to a two-hour overview. And we're on both of these subjects. I've also published recent books, you know, including American Nuked on 9-11, 15 contributors, J-F-K, who, how, and why, another 15 contributors. I mean, none of this is done merely to offer my own opinion, because my great strength, I believe, in doing conspiracy research is I know what I do not know, and I bring in experts in areas where I myself am not one. Turns out I just did an an interview for those who really want to follow my recent reflections on all of this on the 30th of December uh, on Cancel the Cabal. Uh, I really like the host, Stephen Roberts, It's a wide-ranging discussion of conspiracy theory research on JFK, 9-11, Sandy Hook, the Boston bombing, Charlottesville, and especially Las Vegas, where I actually had 150 slides. Let me mention, in addition, that I will be, uh, there will be a conference in Portland, Oregon, on the 3rd of February, that's a Saturday, from 2 to 5 p.m. at Portland State University, uh, discussing the role of Saudi Arabia in all of these events, the 9-11, uh, uh, the Middle East, the wars there, and so forth, and what is the future role of Saudi Arabia, where I, Kevin Barrett, who's another host here on Revolution Radio, Scott Bennett, yet another host here on Revolution Radio, will be three of the seven speakers who are lined up. And in addition, where there's going to be a 
uh, uh, conference in Washington, D.C. on the big event, which was a name that agents within the society gave to 9-11. JFK Historical Group presents the big event. You can check it out at jfkconferencedc.com. jfkconferencedc.com. Thanks. Talk to you Thursday with a special guest. Thank you.